Excellent. It's been a couple of months since I've been stood up here preaching. If you remember, before we had a few, few weeks of looking at King Josiah in the Old Testament, we come to an end of that, and as I say today, we're going to start looking at Hebrews chapter 1. Now, Hebrews is one of those books that's often seen as a bit tricky, a bit even controversial at times, maybe a bit bit hard to get hold of. There's lots of kind of complicated arguments that go on within the book of Hebrews. Reference to mysterious characters like Melchizedek, king of Salem, who appears once in Genesis and then once in Hebrews and then never heard of from again. It's tricky also because no one really knows who wrote it. Some people... At some point, it got given the title that actually it was written by Paul. And then people said, well, actually, no, it doesn't look like it was written by Paul at all. And then people thought, well, maybe maybe it could have been Barnabas or Apollos or someone. But actually, there's not a lot of evidence to say who. And in some ways, it's not really clear who it was written to. The title gives us maybe a little bit of a clue that it was written possibly to a group who were primarily Hebrews or people who had come out of the Jewish who had been brought up as Jews and then they'd come to know Jesus. And that's, that's probably true. There may have been others there as well. But, but where they were, what exact group this was, it's not particularly clear. So it's a kind of tricky, tricky book. And there's loads of references to the Old Testament and to the law and, and all this kind of stuff, which, is, which you have to give a bit of effort to get your head around. But Hebrews is a fantastic letter. It's a letter of just massive encouragement. In fact, we learn, we, we kind of learn most about who probably did receive this letter, kind of from the content of it. And, and the fact that through the letter, whoever wrote it is encouraging them just to press on, to go, to keep going, to understand what they have received, what they've come into, who it is who has come. There's a suggestion, there's that kind of suggestion that some of them were thinking, actually, this is a bit tough, this is a bit tricky. Maybe we'll just go back to, to, the, to, our, the, to, to the ways of the Old Testament, to, to offering sacrifices. We'll, we'll kind of fit in with the Jews around us because they're giving us a bit of a hard time. But the writer's just pressing on, no, no, press on, go for it. In fact, in some ways, Dan gave a kind of executive summary, a really executive summary of Hebrews. Like, if you're going to shorten it down almost into one line, you could put it like Dan prayed out. Something like, if we're going to press on, we need to focus on Jesus. If we're going to press on, we need to focus on him and understand who he is, who it is. What is this message that we've received? That's fundamentally what this letter cries out. Jesus, Jesus is better. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one we can trust in. And we're going to look, we're going to look at four verses today. And I think we're looking at a lot. (laughs) And, (laughs) and in a sense, We'll read this passage in a minute. But this is one of those passages where it's like there's just so much in it. It's so big that you could, you could kind of split it up. 
and take almost each line at a time and take just like some kind of very expensive meal and you kind of you split it up into little bite-sized morsels and you you spend ages chewing on this one little bit and savoring everything in it we could do that but actually there's an and there would be a lot of benefit in that there would be so much we could get out of that but then there's another way that we could, I've used a picture of this I remember going to a, a theme park when I was young. I think it was in Canada, actually. Mark and Debbie might have gone to it now with the kids. And there was a log flume. You know what? Log flume, they go up, they go down, they're on water, they come down, and then they get this almighty splash at the bottom as they land. But in this log flume, you could stand on the bridge watching them coming down. And, it, and it's a lovely, hot, sunny day. It's a wonderful, hot, sunny day. Bone dry, really warm, really hot. Then suddenly the log flume comes down. And, not kidding, one millisecond, you're bone dry. The next millisecond, you're drenched. As, this, as you feel the impact of this water rushing over you. And as I've been preparing this, that word has come back again and again. Impact. The impact of this passage. The impact of it. Let's just... So what we're going to do today is basically just feel the impact of these verses. I mean, there are three points. It's going to be split up. But in effect, they're all just coming back to the point of what is the, what, the immensity of what this says. We want to get drenched in it. There's time for savoring every mouthful. But today, let's just feel what, what is God saying here. So let's read. Hebrews chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son It's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Okay. So we've got this letter to the Hebrews, and the the author, he kind of gets straight to the point. This isn't like some of the other letters we see in the New Testament, like, for example, Philippians. At the beginning of Philippians, we get this nice introduction. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gets on with what he's going to say. Or... 1 Peter, when Peter writes, again, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. In some of them, there's this, in other letters, there's this kind of, I'm going to introduce me, I'm going to introduce you, there's greetings to you. Not here. Not here. Bang. Boom. Straight in. This is, 
Again, that word, there is impact here. He's not wasting time with an introduction. Not that the introduction would be a waste of time. Hear me right on that. But he's getting straight in to what he wants to say. He sees there's so much importance on them getting hold of this. There's a sense of, listen up, guys. Grabbing their attention. God has spoken. The sense of needing to feel the weight of it. We've got this letter to these guys who desperately need encouragement. They need to be, they need to just see, no, no, press on. He gets straight to the point. Look, look what God has done. Launches in. In the past, God has spoken. Many times, in many ways. And now, but now, but in these last days, he's spoken through his son. So we're going to look at three things. And effectively, it's a paraphrase of the beginning of verse 2. But now, God has spoken by his son. So first thing, but now, or but in these last days, something new has come. There's a new thing. Look at what God has done. There's a, there's a drawing attention to there's a kind of step change from what has gone before. There's, a, there's something new has come. In the past, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets in many times, many ways, but in these last days. But now... God has spoken through his son. God has spoken through his son. There's something new. There's something different here. He's speaking to these guys who, who we can get the sense that they're, they're, they're feeling the, feeling the persecution. They're feeling, they're feeling pressure from those around them. Maybe a lot of them, uh, Jews who they'd once worshipped with, who were putting pressure on just saying, you've gone, you've gone off. This isn't right. And he's saying, no, look, this is what God is doing. But now, God has spoken through his son. He's drawing attention to the fact that God has done something incredible. In these last days, but now changes everything. It changes everything. God has stepped in. We've been singing about it already today. John puts it like this at the beginning of his gospel. John 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What's he saying? But now Jesus has come. Jesus has come. God has spoken through his son. There's a difference here. It's not just a continuation. We've had prophets. We've had more prophets. We've had loads of prophets come. Oh, here's another prophet. No, no. But now, the son has come. He's drawing attention to the difference. He's saying, it's not just the same. It's not just something that's carried on. So what do we see? What has changed? We see the difference between two covenants. Luke 22, verse 20. It's what Jesus says about what he had come to do. 
He's at the Last Supper. He takes the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. It's a new covenant that has come. There's a new thing that has been done. In the past, God spoke many times, many ways through the prophets. There's a kind of representation in the old times, before we were in the old covenant. Now, but now, God has brought the new covenant. Jesus has come. Jesus has made a new way. Jesus has brought us into something new. And Hebrews goes into this in depth, this kind of idea of this new covenant, in particularly in chapters 8 and 9, talking about Jesus being the mediator of a new covenant. A covenant that's superior to the old one. It's, it's new, it's greater, it's better. Don't go back to what was there before, because now you're in something new. A covenant by his blood. No longer those continual sacrifices, the blood of animals being shed. Now, Jesus has come. Jesus has come, and Jesus, by Jesus' blood, we're in a new thing. It's a new covenant. But also new we've seen, we see the kingdom has come near. It's what Dan was kind of, Dan was kind of talking, I've skipped a point. Dan was talking last week about the new, new wine needing a new wineskin. New wine needing a new wineskin. Talks about it in Mark chapter 2. But again, just that sense, this isn't a, Jesus hasn't come as a patch on the old. He's not come to kind of shore it up and kind of make it happen. He's brought something new. But now, as I was saying, the kingdom has come near. It's what Jesus spoke about. It's what John the Baptist spoke about before Jesus started his ministry on earth. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, John says this, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Then we see straight after in chapter 4, this is what Jesus starts to preach. Chapter 4, verse 17, again, the same words, but from Jesus' lips, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom has come near. Jesus has come. But now, this new thing. And because this new thing has come, this new covenant, the kingdom has come near, Jesus has come, now we can be made new. And he's speaking to guys who've got hold of this. He's speaking to to guys who've come in to this newness. But for them, and for us, the truth of 2 Corinthians 5, 17... It's there. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So he's saying, look what has happened. It's something massive. It's something incredible. There's a new covenant. There's new life to be had. The, the kingdom has come near. It's all summed up here in this. But in these last days. God has spoken by his son. The son has come. Not just another prophet speaking the words of God, but God himself revealed by his son. God coming into the world. So he's saying, look, lift your eyes. Now something new has come. But actually the second point, Sum up, God has spoken. 
just as a tag to remind it. Actually, we've seen there's a contrast. There's something new. In the past, God spoke many times, many ways through the prophets. But now, Jesus has come. There's the sense, in the past, in many ways, God spoke. But in these last days, God has spoken. There's a sense of continuity. And we know that through the scriptures. This isn't, this is a new thing. There's something new that Jesus has brought in. He's brought the kingdom in. He's brought the new covenant in. But at the same time, this is what God's been working out since the beginning. At the same time, God has spoken through the prophets. He's spoken throughout the Old Testament time. He was speaking. He was speaking his, out his plan. And yes, Jesus has brought in the new covenant, but God has been working it out. God has been working it out throughout history. And we see that in many times, in many ways, the prophets have spoken. And what did they speak of? They spoke of many things. They talked about people needing to come back to God. They talked about destruction that was going to come. They talked about restoration that would come. But what ultimately did they speak of? They spoke about Jesus. They spoke about Jesus. I think... It was amazing on, on Facebook this week, uh, this week. I think Rose posted up that picture. You might have seen it, you might not. There was this picture from a page of Rose. Tell me, what Bible is it? What version? Sorry? The Wayfinding Bible. It's got this picture in it of down the left-hand side, you've got all these Old Testament passages. And then the new, on the other side, you've got all these New Testament passages where the prophecies that were revealed in the Old Testament have been fulfilled in Jesus. That all these things that were announced way back when, all through from, I think the list was from Exodus through to Micah, probably, something like that. But it's not comprehensive by any means. But all these verses, all the way through, many times, in many ways, fulfilled in Jesus. Fulfilled in him. It's a new thing. It's a new day that has come, but it's what God has been preparing from the beginning. God has been speaking and working out his plans. We can see it throughout the Old Testament. We see, we see the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah and different ones. They're all pointing towards the coming king and the coming kingdom. They're speaking into their day. They're speaking into the, pe- to the people of the time. But they're also, you can see, there's this extra dimension of actually this is what God is going to do. So we see, even to David, he got, God spoke to him about his kingdom being established forever. A a forever throne being established. And that particularly spoke through Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel chapter 7. In 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 11, he's talking... He says, the Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will establish a house for you. And there's a sense in this prophecy that there is an application that's fulfilled through Solomon, his son. That that Solomon will build a house for the Lord. That Solomon will reign after David. But actually, this whole sense of, in the next, uh, in the next couple of verses, or down to verse 16, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. So there's a sense, yes, Solomon's coming next. Yes, Solomon will build a temple for the Lord. But actually, this is a forever thing. There's going to be a king. There's going to be one who comes who will reign forever. 
And it comes again and again through the Old Testament. Jeremiah talks about the new covenant that is to come. Jeremiah speaking in the last days of Judah before they go into exile. And there's loads of words he has to bring of, guys, kind of give in to this. This is what God is doing. You're going to go into exile. It's not going well at the moment. You're going to go. But God will look after you and bring you back. But then in that, it says this, Jeremiah 31, 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. He's coming with a new covenant. There's that sense of, yeah, now, at this time, I'm bringing you a word. Say, actually, it's okay. I'm going to bring you back from exile. But actually, in time to come, there's more. There's more to come. And in Isaiah as well, different bits, but particularly Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, there's this picture of this one who is going to suffer. This picture of the one who is going to suffer to take on, take on our sorrows, take on our afflictions. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. And we see this great passage, but it's about Jesus. This is Isaiah talking hundreds of years before, but it's about Jesus. Many ways and many times I spoke through the prophets. But now it's coming. It's come. It's come together. Jesus has come. I've spoken through my son. All of that that I was saying before. It's coming now. And there are so many more. And then Jesus himself picks up on that. When he's talking, after he's been raised from the dead, he meets the men on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. And see these two men who are, who'd, who'd been Jesus' disciples, who are Jesus' disciples, of going off to a place called Emmaus. And they're walking along the road and this man comes alongside them and starts to talk with them. And when they get, get to the place they're going to stay, they invite him to stay with them. Then they realise who it is and, he, and Jesus says this, In verse 25 of Luke 24, he said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer for those, suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then this in verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
In the past, in many ways, God spoke through the prophets. He's been building up, building up to this. So, in a sense, there's a... The writer's saying, look, guys, you've come into something new. Don't go back to what you were in before. Because actually, do you see, all of that that was said before, all of it has been building up to this. All of it's been building up to Jesus coming. To Jesus coming in to this moment. But in these last days, God has spoken through his son. And thirdly, the impact comes it is by his son. By his son. It's not, it's not that God is saying, in the past I spoke through many prophets. Now I've spoken to a special one. He's, listen to him more than you listen to the other ones because he's, a, he's, a, he's got it down really well. He's a special prophet. No. God has spoken by his son. Why can, they, why can the Hebrews who are receiving the letter have confidence? Why can they have assurance to actually press on? Why can they have assurance that actually they're going the right way? Because the one who has spoken to them, the one who has spoken, the one who has come, is God's son. He's God's son. He is God himself coming down. And then we get this, these couple of verses. Now, I think the whole of this is a pretty meaty four verses, but these verses are huge. From verse two to four-ish, second half of two. He's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. This is the one. This is the one. This is Jesus. It's a huge couple of verses. What, all the, we could spend, we could spend weeks, months looking at each of these statements that God, God has spoken through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Jesus is Lord over all. And he's going to inherit everything. Through whom he made the universe. Well, that's a throwaway line. If ever there was one. Through whom he made the universe. The word who was there in the beginning is now the word become flesh. The one through whom God made the universe, who made everything. There's that sense of, look how big this is. Look how big this is. Look who it is who has come and then this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus, the son of God. Jesus is God himself coming into the world. God himself coming down. The radiance of God's glory, the exact representation, the exact 
Yeah, the exact representation of his being. In that sense, like it says in Philippians 2, who being in very nature God. This is God himself coming. God the Son. Not just speaking the words of God, but this is the revelation of God coming into the world. It's, in a sense, our minds can't take it in. The sense that God has come into the world. God, Jesus has not come just to say, well, this is what God says. This is what God says. This is what God says. Like the, like the prophets of old did. They said, this is what God says. Or they spoke as of the voice of God, speaking out the words that God had given them. But now Jesus has come, the exact representation of God's being, radiating his glory. And there's a sense for us to just get hold of again here. Who do people say Jesus is? Who do we say he is? Who do people say he is? Just a man? Maybe a good man? A prophet, perhaps many Muslims would believe that Jesus is a prophet, that he he came and spoke some good things that God had said and then... And then, the, but he was just a prophet. He wasn't nothing more than that. Maybe people say, "Well, he's just irrelevant." Yeah, he was a guy who lived a while ago. Maybe I don't know. Or perhaps a troublemaker. In a sense, that's what the authorities at the time and the Pharisees—that's what they saw. They thought, "No, no, there's this guy who's just stirring up trouble." Oh, hang on! No, 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 no! He's taking our authority. No, well, well, what's going on? But so many would just say, well, yeah, he was a good guy. Yeah, take him or leave him. Good, good man. Did a good, said some nice things. But in a sense that the writer of the Hebrews is drawing us back to say, so that we can respond with Peter in Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 14. Jesus has asked, who do people say I am? And they say, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he asked, what about you? Who do you say I am? They said, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And the writer of the Hebrews is drawing us back to see that is the answer. That is the only answer. Jesus isn't a good man. Jesus isn't just a a good teacher. Jesus isn't just a prophet. He's the son of God. He's the son of God. The one who reigns over all. The one through whom all things were created. The one who radiates God's glory. The one who is in very nature God. But also this bit goes on. He's also the victorious redeemer. The one who has made, provided the purification for sins. How big is he? God has spoken by his son. Jesus has come. And Jesus has made a way for us to come in. Jesus has done it. And this verse kind of finishes with a great, it is finished, as Jesus said on the cross. He's provided purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. 
And he's been given the name that is above every name. The name that is so much superior to the angels. So what's it saying? What's it saying? There's this writer throughout this book, throughout this letter, it's going to go on to give big encouragements, big kind of exhortations to say, come on, keep going. But it's all because of this. It's all built on this introduction, this statement. Don't you realize who it is? Do you realize who it is? Who it is who has come? Who God has spoken through? Don't you realize that everything has changed? Everything has changed because Jesus has come. Jesus has done it. The one in whom we hope is the Lord of all. The one in whom we trust is the Lord of heaven and earth. The one in whom we trust is the one who has conquered the grave and is now seated in heaven at the right hand of the Father. It was a message these guys needed to hear. It was a message, maybe they, yeah, they were just flagging and thinking, oh mum, this is too hard. Maybe we heard it wrong. Maybe we didn't see it. Maybe we should just go back to the old days. No, God has spoken by his son. That changes everything. And for us, again today, I think there's a sense of just needing to hear the impact of it. That we would remember who it is that we're trusting. Why it is we can press on in faith. Why it is where our hope is placed. As I've been preparing for this, I've just been thinking in my mind, it's too easy for us to think, and I say us, all of us, to think, yeah, we know this. We get it. We got it. I know. Jesus has come. He has. I am trusting God. I'm trusting Jesus. He's done it. Yeah, I'm trusting him. I think the impact of this passage is, no, guys, this is massive. We are never going to fully understand this. We're never going to get hold of just how massive this is. How fundamental, how incredible it is. God has spoken by his son. Jesus has come into the world. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And perhaps for some of us out here today, actually there is a sense, I don't get this. I don't, I haven't accepted, yeah, okay, I keep hearing people saying that Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus came, Jesus, God has spoken by his Son, okay. That's the truth today. The truth today is, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the one, he is the Son of the Father, the Son of God who has come to earth. We were all lost, we were all far from God, and yet God sent his Son into the world. God has spoken by his Son so that we can know him, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be brought in to this new kingdom, this kingdom that has come near, God's kingdom, his family. You can know that truth today, because it's true, God has spoken by his son. I think for all of us, there's that sense of we can know it, we can think, oh yeah, I know, yeah, I know. This is the rock on which I stand. God has spoken by his son. Jesus has come. Jesus has made a way. I am secure in him. 
And yet as we go through daily life, any number of things can come up. I've just been reminded of it again. Many of you will probably know because I keep probably ranting about it, that we're moving house. And over this last month, we've been, we've been dealing with solicitors trying to kind of iron out the last little bits of things. We just seem like, this is so simple, surely it can just happen. And it hasn't, and it hasn't, and it hasn't. And, and hopefully it's happening this week. But there's that sense of, even in that small, I mean, to be honest, this is small. I'm buying a house, that's lovely. It's a lovely thing, and it's been held up by a month. Okay, it's nothing. But even in that, there's that sense of, where is my hope? Am I, am I secure in the fact that I am trusting in God? God has spoken by his son. That is massive, that is huge, that is solid. Or is my hope, is my peace, is my joy coming on the basis of whether a solicitor rings me and says, good news, everything's sorted. And don't get me wrong, it's not all kind of, I'm massively... But there's that sense of, actually, this is robbing me. I can be robbed of the security and the joy and the knowledge of, actually, this is so secure by the fact that, actually, I'm on tent. Oh, no, maybe, uh, uh, oh, am I going to get a phone call today? I'll ring them. Oh, they've got no news. Oh. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a sense of whatever comes up, whatever the size... It can rob us of knowing, of knowing the fullness of this is secure. We are secure in him. Why? Because he's the son of God. It's the son of God who's come and spoken into this world. The son of God who has come and revealed God's glory. The son of God who has come and saved us and made a way. And in that I know I'm giving a very trivial example. I know and I... Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying this glibly. This is not a sense of, well, we just need to be happy then, surely, because, because we know that God is, God is in control. Yeah, whatever happens, ah, la, 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 everything's fine. It's not like that at all. It doesn't, doesn't cut across grief in that sense. It doesn't mean that we, we're never hit by things. It doesn't mean that we're ne- we never grieve. It doesn't mean that we never find things hard. We sang it earlier, that Jesus is the defender of the weak. The com- he comforts those in need. It's not a sense of, oh well, everything's fine, it's all lovely, because no, there are real things we face. There are real much, much, much bigger than waiting for a solicitor to phone about a house. And yet, and yet, fundamentally, Fundamentally, what is solid? God has spoken to us by his son. Jesus has come into this world. God has brought his son, has sent his son. The God who has always spoken to his people throughout history, throughout time. In these last days, has spoken by his son. And particularly at this time of year, as we specifically remember the baby in a manger. A little baby 
lying there. As we maybe receive lots of pretty but possibly slightly twee Christmas cards of a scene. Oh, it's lovely. There's a call for us to remember again who it is. Who is that baby? Away in a manger lay the king of the universe. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. The king, the king of the universe, the king of everything. As we sang earlier again, glory be to Christ the Lord, son of God, living word, the Lord of all, a baby boy. He's the Lord, he's the king, he's the one who reigns over everything and he came as a baby. I love how it gets put in the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you're one of the younger ones here today, you may have had this read to you. You may be reading it yourself. This one page. He's here. Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people, just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down. Seas would have roared. Trees would have clapped their hands. But the earth held its breath. And as silent as snow falling, he came in. And when no one was looking, in the darkness he came. As we remember over these next few weeks, the little baby in a manger. Let's remember this. God has spoken by his son. This little baby lying in a manger is God's son. God's son who came to reveal God to us. God's son who came to save the lost. God's son who is the one who now reigns at the father's right hand. Let's pray.